Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Cute Monster Show. I'm your host, Vincent Daly. On this episode, I'll be speaking with positive psychologist Robert Zeitlin. Robert Zeitlin, and welcome to the Cute Monster Show. How are you doing today? Thanks, Vincent. I'm doing great. How are you? I am fantastic. It is cold here. It's it's cold there where you are, I suspect, correct? It is. It is an Arctic blast. Well, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about you, actually. You define yourself as a positive psychologist. Can you describe to our audience what that means? Sure can. Uh, positive psychologists, positive psychology is a relatively new field, about 25, 30 years now. Um, and it stands in slight contrast to where psychology has been for years, looking at problems and disorders, labeling things, fixing problems. Uh, positive psychology is actually the study of happiness and thriving and flourishing. And so they're looking at the things that pull you forward as opposed to things that pull you back. For me, as a positive psychologist, it's been exciting to find innovative ways to, to, to use that research and to use those ideas to help uh, children and, and parents and families. Now, is there such a thing as a, a negative psychologist, your, your alter ego? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically, negative psychologists are all the rest of them. Um, it's, it's basically uh, just a new branch of psychology that's looking at the flip side. Like everything that psychology has done for 100 plus years uh, that's been established in America has been looking at um, studying problems, studying disorders, sort of following a, a medical model. And this is actually looking at the full wealth of resilience and wellness and, and character and, and um, strengths that have been other people's domain, but we, we started to study it about 25 years ago. I've just become enamored with it, and I've basically turned everything that I'm doing around to, uh, to use this research and to embrace this model. That's fantastic. And it actually fits into the topic I wanted to address today, adolescence. We could use a lot of positivity when it comes <laughs> to adolescence. I was hoping I could talk to you today about early adolescence, a time in a kid's life when he or she is just entering middle school or junior high school. Sure. Happy to. I, I really enjoy working with middle schoolers, and uh, that transition is just a rich crossroads where they're sorting things out, and as parents, we're sorting things out, and we're actually dealing with a, a whole new sort of being in our households. Um, so I find it really exciting and a rich um, intersection to be helping families and, uh, and kids. Well, one issue that's a common source of concern for many parents is the use of cell phones. I mean, they're pervasive now, especially smartphones. In your opinion, is there an appropriate age to consider giving them access to this device? I think, um, I think naming an age uh, and an overall rule is ignoring a couple facts on the ground. One is that uh, kids are different, their maturity level and their ability to handle uh, responsibility. Um, and also different communities, um, have different needs, whether they're spread out. And, um, in, in, in our case, uh, my family's case, we gave our kids cell phones at middle school specifically because they were getting out of school so much earlier and in order for us to be in touch with them. So it became primarily a communication device at first. Um, 
Yeah, so this is tricky because the other thing I have to say, so I, 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 I don't have an age range um, that, that fits uh, most, most uh, kids and families. Um, but it's especially tricky because I've been privy to and honored to have a conversation between parents and middle schoolers about this specific topic, about social media and, and specifically cell phones and how, how it's now intertwined with um, how they communicate with friends and how they make friends and how they join groups and, and self-esteem. And, and there's so many other factors that I think we have this opportunity to have a conversation, but at this point we're having a very um, fraught conversation. You know, parents are very concerned about um, the potential um, damage and the potential usage of things like social media and kids are looking at it from a completely different perspective. Um, so that doesn't answer your question directly, but I think there's a lot there's a lot to look at here. Yeah, certainly. I mean, just just trying to unpack the social media aspect alone in the equation is a mm. huge dilemma. I mean, there there's so much involved in adolescence. I can recall from my own experience, and just let alone having to then integrate social media into that mix would be mind-blowing or, you know, detrimental in some cases. In other cases, it might be positive. But um, I'm not sure uh, anybody really knows how to approach this directly because it is sort of still very new and the research is just not out there. We're kind of learning as we're going along and we're looking to uh, professionals such as yourself mm -hmm. to glean some sort of kernel of advice to, to guide mm -hmm. us through this uh, uncharted yeah. waters. I will say that I recently heard about a movement of parents that are um, working working together, meaning supporting each other to hold off on cell phones and technology until eighth grade. It's called wait till eighth. Um, and I don't necessarily endorse that again as a blanket statement, but it's an interesting approach. If we're looking at cell phones like things, uh, other things that kids get exposed to because uh, the, the research is showing if kids are exposed to, um, you know, uh, challenging things like um, substances or uh, intimate behavior, uh, the earlier they're exposed, the more uh, long-term detriment there is. So the, the longer kids can wait till or parents can help kids wait on things like, you know, I'm going to joke, sex, drugs and rock and roll. Um, till later ages, the more they're able to handle it and adjust it. And the same may be true for social media, except, like I said, um, there's a culture clash to some degree where kids are experiencing this in a different way, and I think we're having trouble understanding each other about it. But at some point, oh, does it become uh, a bit of diminishing returns in, in, in the sense that you are curtailing your child's growth as an adolescence. They, they are now trying to find their way, uh, being an independent person, so to speak. And is that detrimental in some way? I, I think the way that, it, that I've seen it be detrimental is that kids will, will tell me that they know who has the quote, stricter parents. And they can tell who has stricter parents because they tend to be their friends who are sneakier. <laughs> You know, the idea of curtailing adolescence, as we may remember being adolescents, there was no curtailing anything. We couldn't stop our growth and our parents really didn't stop most of what we uh, were seeking to do. Um, 
So the idea that um, kids at uh, 12 or even 11 are going to happen to hit a website on their smartphone or iPad that um, that's inappropriate um, presumes that that hasn't been happening for them since they were younger, or that you know that that opportunity their you know this term that we use for kids being digital natives uh, versus uh, many of us who haven't grown up with with this technology being digital immigrants, um, you know, does get to the point of we're we're presuming that we know what it's like, and kids tell me all the time that we don't, um, what it's like to have grown up with any answer they ever wanted at their fingertips. Right, the, the whole idea of, of being an engaged parent now seems to include monitoring your child's activities online as well uh, because mm -hmm. of the potential threats that are inherent in the medium. Uh, I just don't know personally what that balance is as far as being engaged but not being overbearing. Is, is there something that you've spoken about or addressed elsewhere or in your writing which kind of hones in on this particular balance that we're trying to achieve? Yes. Um, I think the, the challenge for parents is a new one. And I think the discomfort that you're expressing um, is something that um, you, uh, something that parents are necessarily having to work through in order to do this as right as possible. And, 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 you know, there's no way to do it necessarily right. Cause it's kind of a new world, but like there's a, there are clear sort of, if you picture a bowling alley, there are clear gutters you can fall in on either side. You know, you can, um, lock your child into a sort of Luddite Rapunzel tower and decide that they're not going to have exposure to this until you're ready for them to have it. In which case, kids tell me uh, there's where there's a will, there's a way, and, and kids will find their way out of there. And technology's everywhere. And then on the other side is parents just giving up the ghost and saying, um, I'm going to give this to you. Uh, I hope, you know, I've, I've drummed some common sense into your head. I, I can't, I can't even begin to figure out how to monitor it. Um, you're on your own. Come to me if there's a problem. Um, and staying somewhere in the middle of that bowling alley is the place to be. And it is fraught with questions and discomfort. And so the advice that I have, uh, Vincent, for parents is honestly that um, you need to put your head together with other parents who share similar values and sort of form a working group or a, a think tank or a mastermind group to confront, especially in your community, and especially in the school community that your kids are in, um, each of the challenges as they come along. And while you're doing that, also maintain as open a line of communication as you kid, can with your kids to manage each of those things for you and your family and your kids. Um, but it's going to take, it, it takes a lot of work. It's not, there's not a simple formula or an app for it. I, um, I just read a, a lovely post from a friend who's a, a high school teacher uh, who's counseling her students who are waiting for college um, admission results to come back. And she reminded them to take the long view, that it's not a decision that's made in the next week that's going to change their life, that they've done a lot of great things, that there's a lot of people that they've helped and relied on, and there's a lot of connections. And I would say the same thing to parents. As you're navigating the 
trials and errors and learnings and failings and growings, um, there's a longer view picture that you need to hold on to. And when I say find parents with similar values and band together, this is what I'm talking about. If there's, if, you know, if a group of parents want to figure out how to lock things down and restrict and, and wait uh, until eighth grade or, or high school, that's, that's one move. Um, but another move would be more in the middle of the bowling alley and trying to figure out a way to navigate this successfully in collaboration and in conjunction with your kids as opposed to doing something for them or to them or stepping out of the game completely. You know, it, it kind of falls into the line of thinking that all families experience growing pains. I mean, conflicts between family members are a common occurrence, yet adolescence is a unique time for kids as well as parents in the sense that how, how can parents begin to adapt to the changes adolescence brings to the parent-child relationship? I mean, what balance needs to be met in order to be successful? The three tips that I'm always talking with parents and, um, you know, ways to to sort of scale back and, and think think in this long-term approach is, is to find a way to slow down um, or to pause and be able to step back so you're not making gut level decisions. Right. Uh, on the other hand, to be able to trust your gut and your instincts, so be able to, to listen better, not just to your kids, but to yourself and what what your instincts are telling you. And then the third is, again, that, that long view. How do you um, recognize, how, how do you make decisions based on your values rather than um, this is the way my dad did it or this is the opposite of the way my dad did it. And so I'm going to do exactly that. That, um, let, you know, there's a guiding principle for every decision with parenting, and it often has to do with what's going on with your kid right then, how your family's values are reflected in the decision, and um, and then the circumstances. Right. It just, I think it also, it comes down to this change in, in one's parenting style as well. If, if you are used to your child being more compliant, and then all of a sudden adolescence rears its head, and that child is now questioning you and talking back and maybe side-mouthing you. And there's, there's a back and forth that's going to occur. How do you adapt that parenting style? I mean, some people are very much into the uh, authoritarian. You do what I say. Other people are more like authoritative, where it's kind of in the middle or, mm -hmm. or permissive. You know, anything goes. I mean, how, how do you think a, a challenge such as adapting to that transition should play out? Um, one way, one way I've seen it play out successfully is um, to, to, I mean, first off, you have to recognize that authoritarian, an authoritarian approach is going to um, get different results with a six-year-old than it's going to get with a with a twelve-year-old. Sure. Um, and if you are uh, accepting the need to adapt that approach, you don't necessarily need to give it up, and you don't necessarily need to become you know, a permissive, uh, go to another extreme, which is a mistake that we make in parenting a lot. We assume that there's really only two choices. Um, but the, the approach for an authoritarian parent or a parent that wants to maintain some level of control and consistency and stability is to view themselves more as, um, more as the, the, the side of the pool that, that your kid needs to push off against. How can you be consistent and reliable and uh, available and present, um, and not necessarily give up your values or become, you know, go from 
a strict parent to to you know some hippie therapist type but like how do you how do you maintain your consistency and stability and let them know that you're there no matter what they need i mean this is the hard part that at at 6 you may be telling them what to do at 12 you don't know what they're encountering or what they need help with and so it's really critical to leave the door open and if you are going to be sort of you want to be strong then be the wall that they push off against sounds like uh, you're almost becoming more of your child's uh, manager in life kind of facilitating their way mm. as opposed to telling them what to do is, it, is that kind of where you're going i think that's a that's a great frame of of reference i think there's a shift in any teaching slash mentoring relationship where um your your ultimate goal um in, in my humble opinion, is to grow an independent person. So if you are pursuing that goal, at some point, um, the lessons stop and the practicing starts. And so uh, assuming a facilitator, coach, uh, manager position is going to be something you're necessarily going to have to get to at some point anyway. As a parent, how do you keep the lines of communication open when adolescents suddenly feel all adults are clueless? You know, a sense of humor goes a long way. Uh, a lightness goes a long way. Um, not taking yourself too seriously goes a long way. Um, as much as your kid is uh, growing to the next phase, you also need to grow and adapt to the next phase. And um, I guess the stance that his, the parents have told me and, and I've counseled them that's been most helpful to them is to, to not take those hits on directly, not to take it too much to heart. You're, you're not at that point requiring feedback from your kid that you're doing everything right. But to, to assume that those are aimed in a general direction and to remain present and curious. So the theme of just ask, the theme of um, being open to receiving the message that's within the sort of <laughs> rolled up stinky ball of insults um, <laughs> is, uh, is, is what I would suggest. You've written a book titled Laugh More, Yell Less, A Guide to Raising Kick-Ass Kids. <laughs> I love that title, by the way. Can you tell the audience a little bit about it? Sure. I, I found myself uh, working with parents and several themes kept coming back up, especially around what I'd learned in positive psychology and with mindfulness. And so what I did was brought together in a very short, readable book. Some people tell me it takes them about 20 minutes, 30 minutes from cover to cover, um, in a fun, easy, positive, uh, inspirational way to give parents seven tips to raise the kick-ass kids that we're all going to need to solve the future problems. You know, I think we can't afford for any of our kids with the potential and the ideas and the creativity and the imagination to be sitting on the sideline for some of the problems that the world's gonna be facing in the next generation. So I'm working with parents in a backwards design way to figure out how to create the families, create the partnerships with their partner, create the environment, the culture, so that they can, uh, so the kids can do what they need to do to grow into the, the potential that I know they have. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Robert, for being a guest on the Cute Monster Show. It was an honor and a pleasure talking to you today. Please come back it, in the future. It was my pleasure, Vincent. Thank you so much. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Until next time, I'm Vincent Daly, and this is the Cute Monster Show, signing off. Thank you.